0: Hey, good morning, everybody. How you guys all doing? Okay, well, we're going to dive right in here. Uh, We're in the third lesson of a new series about getting a grip. And what we want to talk about is getting a grip on Jesus. And if you recall, all three of these lessons are going to center around one passage out of Matthew, Matthew 16. If you remember in that first lesson, what we looked at is Jesus has a conversation with these guys and he says... Who do people say that I am? You remember the answers? They were kind of diverse. Everybody had an opinion about Jesus. And what we're looking at at getting a grip on Jesus is, how do we get traction? How do we start moving forward in our faith, in our fellowship? How do we hold on to Jesus? And what we found is there's some choices that we have to make. And the first choice is to choose to grab a hold of the real Jesus and not just the Jesus that you want to be real you remember that who do people say i am isn't going to cut it then last week what we looked at is the second choice we have to make which is how to get ourselves into a position to grab a hold of the real jesus we looked at that word blessed because jesus turns the question to his disciples and he says in matthew 16 well who do you say that i am and he says and peter says well You're the Son of God, the Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are you. And blessed is the Greek word, markios, which means more than just happy. It means happy and fortunate. It's about being in a good position. So there's two choices already that we've uncovered. We've got to choose to grab the real Jesus, not just the one we want to be real. And we've got to choose to put ourselves in a position where we can grab a hold of Jesus and get the traction. And today we're going to look at a third choice that we have to make. Well, let's first look at the verse. Matthew 16:15 and 17. Jesus said, "Who do you say that I am?" And Simon and Peter answered, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus said to him, "Blessed are you Simon Bar Jonah? Because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father, who's in heaven." See, the next choice that we're going to have to make is between who we're going to rely on to reveal Jesus to us. We're we going to rely on flesh and blood, or we're we going to rely on God. Now, the first time I looked at this verse, i got to be honest, I wasn't completely sure what Jesus was saying. What's this flesh and blood? How does God reveal Jesus to us? So I had to do a little bit of digging into it to try and figure out what Jesus is actually saying. This phrase, flesh and blood, it occurs about four times in Scripture. I'll save you. I won't try to go through all four of those verses, but I can give them to you if you want to check it out for yourself later. Or you can just simply do a, a word search in your Bible programs Flesh and blood. And you'll find these four verses. And when you look at them, what they all have in common is it's talking about common, normal humanity. Common, normal humanity. And Jesus is saying, this is Hamlin's revised paraphrase, okay? Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're in a good position, blessed. You're in a good position because you didn't decide who I am based on other people's opinions. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Because Peter, when he first hears that Jesus is the Messiah, guess where he hears it? From his brother, Andrew. He says, hey, we found the Messiah. Come and see. Well, Andrew was flesh and blood. See, what I'm finding in Scripture is this. We all start by hearing from flesh and blood. We all start out hearing about Jesus, that He is the Messiah from somebody. Some of us unfortunately choose to stay right there. Peter did not. Peter was blessed. He was in a good position because somehow he moved from just other people's opinions to relying on God to reveal Jesus to him. And he got it right. Peter had a grip on Jesus. Peter worked for Jesus. He was an effective servant for Jesus. See, there are lots of people who have opinions about Jesus, right? Today, still, right? Are all those opinions wrong? Of course not. There are a lot of people who have opinions about Jesus and their opinions are right. But there is a huge, huge, huge difference between saying the right things about Jesus because somebody told you accurately about Him and God revealing to you who Jesus is. So, I've just got a couple of things that I've found in Scripture that I think can help us to get to that place where God reveals Jesus to us. The question that we're trying to drive out here is how does God reveal Jesus to people? You interested in knowing? I thought it was fascinating, so I dug right in. The first way that I found is through the Word. What am I talking about the Word? I'm talking about His Bible. Jesus was known as the Word before He was known as Jesus. That's an interesting thing, huh? Well, how did I come to this conclusion that that God reveals Jesus to us through the Word of God and not just through simply zapping us with a a thunderbolt? Well, I found an interesting story. It's over in Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6. It says, Now when John, while in prison... He's talking about John the Baptist. You know the story, right? He was the forerunner of Jesus. Ticked off Herod. Got thrown into prison. Well, while he's in prison, he uh, heard of the works of Christ he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Now, think about this for a second. John was the guy who's preaching about the kingdom of God, calling everybody to repentance. And when he sees Jesus, he points him out and says, There's the Lamb of God. Moreover, he's the one who actually baptizes Jesus. And when he baptizes him, the Spirit lands on him like a dove, John sees it, and everybody hears the voice of God saying, this is my son, listen to him. That same John is now asking, uh, are you the Messiah? Or should we be expecting somebody else? We're not told in Scripture why John's got this question. Maybe being in prison rattled him. Maybe, you know, the Word of God doesn't tell us everything. God didn't choose to tell us all of his secrets. He didn't choose to tell us the details behind all of his plans. Maybe there was a little bit of this flesh and blood opinion thing that was in John's mind and the kingdom that Jesus was working on and bringing. Maybe it didn't look like John expected it. I don't know. All I know is he sends word through his disciples to ask Jesus, "Uh, are you it or are we supposed to be waiting on somebody else? And this is Jesus' answer. Now, before I read his answer, put yourself in John's position. What kind of an answer would you like? Yes or no? I got this. We're on track. Relax. It's all good. And that's not the answer that Jesus gives. He gives this answer. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who doesn't take offense at me. Remember that word blessed. You're in a good position if you don't get offended by me. What kind of an answer is that? He wants to know. He wants it to be revealed again. Is this Jesus the the Messiah? He wants the real Jesus. He asks the question, and what does Jesus give him? He gives him Bible. These descriptions are found in Isaiah. You'll find them in Isaiah 35 and you'll find them in Isaiah 61. They're all verses that talk about what the Messiah would do. That informs my opinion a little bit. If we want to be able to recognize Jesus, if God is going to reveal who Jesus really is, it's not going to come through the opinions of people. It's going to come through the Word of God. See where I'm going to go with this next? Are you looking in the Word of God or are you leaning on people's opinions? By the way... I'm flesh and blood too. I'm just flesh and blood. I'm going to tell you the best that I know. I'm going to show you from Scripture the best that I know. You rely on me instead of the Word of God, you might miss something. See, the the thing is, is, we can choose certain things. We can choose to get into the Word of God. We can choose for God to reveal Jesus to us. He really, really, really wants to show you Jesus. His whole Bible, his, all of history, God has been trying to say, this is me. I'm here. I'm real. He wants to be found by us. He wants to reveal. Are you going to get in the Word of God and let Him do that? The second step, the second thing that we need to add to this, the second way that God reveals Jesus to us is through the Spirit. You ever just sat down to read the Bible and it doesn't mean anything to you? it might have something to do with whether the Spirit's involved. Very familiar passage I want to show you, but hopefully I can show you something, draw attention to something that maybe you haven't thought through. Maybe you kind of skipped over. It's in Luke 11, verses 9 through 13. Now Jesus is talking here and he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, if you just stop right there, how badly could you miss the point of what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus saying, hey, I'm your genie? If you just ask, seek, and knock, I'll give you what it is you're asking and seeking and knocking for. Is that what he's saying? Jesus completes his thought, and that's what I want to call your attention to. Let's see what he says here. He says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? If then, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is it we're supposed to ask, seek, and knock for? Well, it says here, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is what the Father gives when we ask, seek, and knock. So, I'm thinking it's pretty safe to say it, that we should be asking and seeking and knocking for things that God's Spirit provides. Does that make sense? I'm going to go further with this. How many of you guys know what the Holy Spirit provides? Yeah, well, I couldn't quote them to you either. In fact, what I did in your notes is I gave you a, uh, uh, a text link, a URL to a web page that lists about 50 things in the scriptures that say the 50 things that they found that the Holy Spirit does and the Holy Spirit provides. If you want to ask, seek, and knock the way that Jesus is talking about, if you want a grip, if you want some traction, maybe you ought to take some time to look through those verses and see what it is that God wants to give you. What He gives through the Holy Spirit. Now, I'd be here all day if I tried to take you through all 50 of those. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to point out one. And you'll find it in John 15, 26. Paraphrasing what's said there, the Spirit of God guides us into all truth and glorifies Jesus to us and through us. catching that? See, I really look at this Word of God, these two steps that I'm giving you today, this this choice you can make, the Word and the Spirit, I don't know if you can separate them. It's almost like two wings of an airplane. You're not going anywhere unless you've got both wings. This word glorifies. The Spirit of God guides us into all truth. That week I think we can put that together. He guides us into all truth. But He glorifies the Son in us and through us. What does He mean by glorified? If you check it out, every time that the word glory or glorified or glorifies is mentioned in Scripture, it's something that can be seen. Glory is something that can be seen. You want to see Jesus? It's the Holy Spirit who does this. You're not going to get a grip on Him if you don't see Him accurately, are you? Well, how does the Holy Spirit do this? Well, at least one of the ways is through the Word. Jesus said it this way in John 6, 63. He says, it's the Spirit who gives life. Back to the Spirit, right? The flesh profits for nothing. You're going to see for the rest of this lesson a big contest between flesh and spirit. And there's your choice. Which one we are going to be more about, flesh or spirit? Flesh and blood? Opinions? Spirit? Word? Jesus says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The Holy Spirit works. One of the ways that he works to reveal Jesus to us is through the word of God. So, you know where I'm headed with this, don't you? What are you asking, seeking, and knocking for? Here's what I'd like you to do. Just as a part of the challenge to try and take this lesson in and not just listen to somebody talk. To actually make an application. I'd like for you to be really, really honest. You're not getting a grade on this and you don't have to show it to anybody. It's just kind of between you and God. But if you want traction, you might want to start looking here. If you don't want traction, forget it. But if you do want some traction, if you do want a grip on Jesus, I would challenge you to look at where you spent your time just this past week. Just seven days, the last seven days. What were you asking and seeking and knocking for? What did you ask God for? It won't help you if you're not honest. What are you looking for and where? What are you seeking Where were you looking for it at? And what doors are you wanting open for you? We can make better choices. Do you want the real Jesus enough to pursue Him to do the way that God calls us to do it, to ask, seek, and knock? Are you willing to do that to get a grip on Him? what it comes down to, folks. And I'm not here to make people mad. If it happens, it happens. But there are two groups of people, two types, broad groups, but there are two groups of people in every church. That includes this one, that includes that one, and the one beyond, and the one down there, and all over the world, there are two groups of people. And you can choose which one you want to be in. But in every church, there are two. There are two in this group. The first group are those who are asking, seeking, and knocking for what they want God to give them. See, somehow flesh and blood is revealed to them that God has been invited into their lives, has been invited into their stories. How many churches today are asking people, will you ask Jesus into your heart? Will you make Him king of your life? And what they're really saying is, do you want to add Jesus into your story? Because you're the star in your own story. Folks, I don't think that's what God's invited us to do at all. I think God has invited us into His story. And the second group of people seem to understand this a little better because they're the ones who are asking, seeking, and knocking for what God wants to give them. Do you catch the difference? It is a huge, huge, huge difference. If you're feeling stagnant, if you're getting nowhere, if your prayers are powerless, if you've got a failing grip on the Lord, you may be in the wrong group. You may have gotten suckered into thinking that Jesus is here to work on your kingdom. He didn't accept a role in your story. He asked you to accept a role in his. The difference between these two groups really comes down to this. It's what they have their mind set on. What is their mindset on? What is your mind set on? Where do I come up with this language, mindset on? And well, it's out of Romans eight. Romans five and eight. Five through eight. Paul said there, he says, For those who are according to the flesh here's flesh again set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Here's your choice, folks. Everybody in this room listening to this, anybody who's listening to it on the internet later, you're in one of these two groups. And the thing I want you to understand is, God says you can choose. None of us are trapped in a group we don't want to be in. We can choose, and we have heavenly help to make those choices and those differences. But he says you set your mind on this world. You set your mind on your kingdom, that's death. But catch what he goes on to say. He says, the mindset of the flesh is hostile towards God. Well, what I'm saying, and I don't like this, but what this is saying is that there are some of you guys in here who are hostile to God. My bet is you don't know it. I know most of you. I bet you're not thinking of it this way. You just don't understand that this is hostility towards God to be about your kingdom, to be about having your mind set on this world and your things and your priorities and what God does for you. You don't understand that that's hostile to God. Why is it hostile to God? He goes on, he says, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Remember last week when we were talking about those priorities? I suggested strongly to you that the top priority ought to be Ephesians 5.10, find out what pleases the Lord. That's why it's hostility towards God. If you're not in the Word of God, if you're not listening to the Spirit, if you're not asking, seeking, and knocking for the things of the Spirit, how will you even know how to please Him? Let me ask you honestly, is it even important to you to please Him? Do you love Him? Do you want to see His will done? Do you want to see Him get what He deserves? Or are you hung up fighting for what you think you deserve? Those two groups are represented in this crowd. You're in one or the other. Do you really want to stay hostile to God? If you're in that group, It's okay. You don't have to stay. But if you choose to stay, being hostile towards God is not the way of life. It's the way of confusion. It's the way of stagnation. It's the way of death. You can see both of these groups interacting with Jesus in one chapter of the Bible specifically. You find it in John chapter 6. Now, I don't have the time to read the whole chapter to you, but I'll kind of set it up for you a little bit. Jesus has sent out his disciples. They've been taking the gospel everywhere, and they've been saying, hey, listen, the kingdom of God, it's a real thing. It's not just for there and then, pie in the sky and the sweet by and by stuff. It's actually happening. Heaven is invading earth. The king is here. And they had the ability to do some pretty amazing things, and people were catching on. They were hearing from flesh and blood that the Messiah had come. They also had been hearing for years and years and years what the Messiah would be like and what he would be doing. So Jesus wants to talk with his disciples and he can't get them away. So he takes them out into the middle of literally nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. But the people are following. And so they get out there and Jesus ends up feeding 5,000 of them from one kid's sack lunch. This is a pretty cool thing, right? Look what it says here. It says in John 6, 15, Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take Him by force to make Him king, withdrew again to the mountain by Himself alone. See, their ideas were not to follow Jesus and serve His kingdom. Whose kingdom did they want Him to be king of? Their kingdom. See, they thought we got a guy who can feed all of us and we don't even have to work. we got a king here, a guy who can be king and he can build our kingdom. Do you really think that we're so different today? We have people who pursue Jesus for what they think Jesus will do for them, but they really don't give a rip of what he wants them to do for him. They want what they want, not what God wants. These guys wanted him to be king of their kingdom and look what Jesus does. He withdrew from them. See, this, this is sort of the pretext of, behind everything you're going to read that's coming on in the rest of this chapter. They wanted him to be king of their kingdom, and Jesus walked away from them. That's what Jesus does when you try to make him king of your kingdom. He'll walk away from you. Why would he do that? You want to stay in that group? He's going to walk away from you. Why? Because you're hostile to God. I hope you don't satisfy yourself with that. I hope that you'll want something different. So Jesus ends up walking away from these guys. He gets off by a mountain by himself. And then he says, okay, let's just get away. we are go to Capernaum. And he's going to start teaching there. Well, this crowd that had just been fed the night before wake up and realize that Jesus is gone. So what do they do? They follow him to Capernaum. And look what Jesus says to them. It's in John 6:26. He says, truly, truly. Whenever Jesus repeats himself like that, truly, truly, he's saying, listen, this isn't an argument. This is the fact. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You know, we have a study called Seeking God. How many people have gone through that and what they've gotten is, I want to seek God for what he'll do for me. I find it interesting that it says you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but they had been fed, 5,000 of them had been fed from its kids' sack lunch. Apparently that's not the sign that they were supposed to catch. Maybe it was the stuff that the Word of God had revealed. Remember Jesus' answer to John? This is the kind of stuff that the Messiah will do whenever he is making things right because that's what the kingdom of God does. It restores things. It makes all things new. That's what Jesus is about. About making things right. Heaven invading earth and taking over. And these guys, they just want their kingdom. They're here for what Jesus will do for them. How could they miss the signs? Jesus had been in ministry a long time at this point. He was well known. In fact, Jesus at this point was a rock star. He was never as popular as he was at this moment. His church was never as big as it was at this moment. And it'll never be this big again. Because what follows is recorded as being a hard teaching. And he starts bleeding disciples at this point. Was Jesus interested in having a huge church? Apparently not. Because he wasn't going to tell them what got them to come. He was going to tell them what God wanted from them. And that turned a lot of them off. John 6, 66-69. See, in between these verses, they get into an argument with Jesus over food. Jesus is trying to lift their eyes and get their eyes off of this world and onto the Spirit, away from flesh and blood and to the Spirit. And they want to argue. And they come up trying to use Bible against Jesus. And they said, Moses... Our forefathers, he fed them man, in the desert. And Jesus keeps trying to redirect them. Don't work for food that perishes. Work for food that really lasts, that brings about eternal life. That enables you to do the work of God. And they argue back. Well, what's the work of God? And Jesus says, to believe God. To believe God. That encompasses a whole lot, doesn't it? And the argument goes on and on and on. till finally Jesus says, listen, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's the only way that this works. And they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can, who can accept it? See, I don't think, for years I just thought it was, they got grossed out by his language. I don't think it's that final statement that turned them away. I think this is the fact that they wanted him to be king of their kingdom. And they refused to accept that God will not do that. And whenever Jesus said, no, you have to serve my father's kingdom, that's whenever they said no. That's hard. The other thing that disturbs me, it says here in verse 66, as a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. It doesn't say many sinners who never accepted Jesus walked away. It says many of His disciples. In every church there are two groups. And this morning, right here, right now, you're in one of these two groups. You're either here asking, seeking, knocking for God to give you what you want God to give you, or you're in the group that's getting a hold of Jesus and understanding, I'm going to ask, seek, and knock for what God wants to give me. Many of those disciples walked away. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know if they lost their salvation and went to hell. What I do know is they weren't any help to God in his kingdom. You've got to be in the presence of God to have any power in this walk. How many of you guys aren't even caring about advancing the kingdom of God? You leave it to me, Tim, Gary, Mike, Bob, others. You're not planning anything. You're not thinking of ways to help. You're not studying the scriptures. You're not trying to figure it out. You're not trying to model it and live in it. You're loving it for everybody else. See, in every church today, there are people in one of these two groups. And what you'll find is if you're in that first group that's in it for me, your eyes are on the flesh, you'll look at a church like this and say, they got stains in the carpet. I'm going to find a church that's cleaner. They're not holy enough because they play basketball in the sanctuary. I don't like their kids program. I don't like their preacher. That song leader is full of himself. And they go to the other church, and the other church is probably going to tell them the same thing. There are two groups in this church. And they'll go hopping from church to church to church until they finally find a church that's more interested in their size and their attendance and how they look, that they'll sell you Jesus on your terms. And those churches get fat and fluffy, and they do not make disciples. And they do not produce people that get traction and get a grip on Jesus. And guess what happens? Eventually comes the hard teaching. Eventually comes that, that command of God that doesn't make any sense. You don't see how if I, if I go over to a light switch and I flip the switch, I expect something to happen right now. Don't you? Either the light's are going to come on or they're going to come off. Marriage counseling is great this way. I get to get the chance to talk to people who have trouble in their marriage. And if they're in this first group, They will do what I'm telling them to do or suggesting that they do as long as they can see how it gets them what they're after, which is usually something out of their spouse. But whenever I ask them to do something that lays their life down and serves their God, suggesting that their being a husband has more to do with their fellowship of Jesus than what their wife is going to do for them, guess what they do if they're in that first group? They're gone. And then they're down the road looking for another church, where they'll help them negotiate something they can get, because they're more interested in their own kingdom than they are in the kingdom of God. Which group are you in? These people are walking away from Jesus, and Jesus is walking away from people. This is a pretty bad situation. So Jesus looks at the twelve and says, you guys want to go away too? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter didn't always get this right. And what I'm here to tell you is getting it right all the time isn't required. There was a time whenever Peter decided that Jesus shouldn't go to the cross. And you know what Jesus said to Peter? You're an offense to me. How would you like to hear that? Why am I an offense to you? Because you have in mind the things of this earth. Folks, you got to choose. Man, we're not... We're not having these lessons and bringing you in here because we're trying to pad our pews or get money out of you. We're trying to legitimately serve a risen Savior. Trying to tell you the truth. And you can change. All you have to do is choose. If this lesson offends you, I'm sort of sorry. I don't like anybody being mad at me, but I told you before, if i got to choose between offending Jesus by not telling you the truth or offending you, you better get a helmet. Where else are you going to go? He has the words of life. Many people choose to withdraw rather than to accept this truth. And the really sad reality is is most of them still keep coming to church. They still keep coming to church. In this group, there are going to be unfortunately some of you guys that are going to listen to the go and walk away with a guilt complex or something. You're not going to change. Because flesh and blood has revealed it to you that Jesus is your genie. Flesh and blood has revealed something else and you don't have whatever it takes, the faith, to dig into the Word of God and to ask, seek, and knock for what the Spirit provides. You're not trying to tap into the Spirit because you want what you want. And you're going to lose your grip. For sure you're going to end up not being any help to Him. Peter went on closed his statement and says, We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, the reality is, is, when God reveals Jesus to you as the King of His kingdom, you follow. You don't get it perfect, but you follow. None of us knows it all. But when you find out something new that pleases the Lord, you follow. And following Jesus sometimes takes you places you would really rather not go. It it puts in question your retirement. It puts in question who you're going to marry, who you're going to date, what you're going to do for entertainment, your lifestyle, your future. It'll put all those things on this earth in question. But if you realize who He is, it's so worth it. Because I'll tell you what, that isn't the only picture. I can tell you, I've been a Christian now for almost 40 years. And I am, I still don't have a perfect grip on Jesus I'm trying to learn how to get my better grip. I do that by studying in the Word, asking for God to reveal who Jesus is and teaching me how to please Him. But I also partner with guys who will tell me what I need to hear, who will remind me whenever I'm starting to lose my grip. They'll tell me whenever I I shouldn't do it this way, I should do it that way. Most of the time, I really don't want to hear that. Most of the time, I don't like it. But they're not my enemies. I've asked them to help me. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, if they give me a suggestion, that it might be better to serve God by doing this than by doing that. They're right. On that tenth time, I just yell at them. Right, Tim? <laughs> uh, okay, if I, was, if I was actually truthful, I probably don't yell about the tenth time. I probably yell about the nine. And then I go ahead and do it anyway and go, Huh, you guys are right. Well, welcome to the club. I'm just telling you, we're not saved because we're perfect. Or we get this right. I'll go too long, I'll start talking about grace. I want to wrap this up for you real quick. This is the next part of this follow-up challenge I really want to give you. Folks, you can choose. Praise God, you can choose. If you find yourself slipping from one group to the other, if you go from what you ought to be to what you shouldn't be, okay, sometimes our tires spin. Change. This is something you can do. God will work with you right where you are. He'll help you take the next step, whatever it is. But ask, seek, and knock is your side of it. Ask, seek, and knock is up to you. Are you going to make that choice? I'd like for you to spend some time this next week. See, here's what i got in mind for you. I want you to do a comparison. I want you to look back at last week and see what you asked God for. What you were seeking and where you were looking for it at. And what doors you were really wanting to open for you. And I want you this week Spend some time asking God to reveal Jesus and guide you to truth. God answers those kinds of prayers. Spend some time seeking Jesus in the Word. Don't just read the Bible so you can say that you read the Bible. Don't just read the Bible so that you can figure out some cute, clever twist on a scripture that makes you feel important about yourself. Read scripture looking for Jesus, trying to find Him. Asking God to reveal Him to you. See, it's much better to have a good question than it is to have a good answer. I've said that for a long time. You know why it's better to have a good question from Scripture than a good answer? You get a good answer, you stop looking. If you've got a good question, that thing will drive you nuts. And you'll keep digging and you will find gold that you never thought you would find. Sometimes the journey is so much bigger than the destination. Spend some time seeking Jesus in the Word and stop making excuses. And lastly, why not knock on the doors that God wants to open for you? Do you have any idea what kind of things He wants for you? He wants good things for you. There are probably opportunities to serve Him that He's just dying for you to ask Him to open a door for. Friends, family that think this is just fairy tale stuff. Maybe they've never even heard the gospel accurately. Ways that you can serve sometimes without even opening your mouth. God will open those doors. I forget which, which guy it was, but there was a guy a long time ago that was sort of famous for being a Christian. And he said, preach the gospel everywhere you go, and if necessary, use words. I think we ought to use words too, but I think his point is pretty valid. What about doors of opportunity to come to know him? Do you really want to know him? He's wonderful. Those of us that have been looking see this beautiful thing that we can't even describe Him. In our elders meetings, we get together and we talk about Scripture. And we got all kinds of different ways of looking at it. And it's this this mosaic. God is too big for any one of us to see fully by ourselves. And so we, we learn from each other. And He's amazing as He unfolds His mystery and His purpose in our lives. You guys want that? Man, it's all your choice. You can do it. You don't have to be perfect. You just got to want it and start. challenge you to try it. Just try it for seven days. Come on. Am I really asking is it that hard? You couldn't do this for seven days? I'm challenging you. Give it a try for seven days. See what it's like at the end of the seven days. Tell me if the next seven aren't better and richer and more exciting than the last seven. You can do this. All of us can. Don't miss it. Okay, guys. If it's all right, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to pray and let the worship team sing for us. You would bow with me, Heavenly Father. This has been a challenging uh, lesson series so far. Challenging to prepare. Challenging to teach. Challenging to accept and, and grab a hold of, even for me. But Father, what you're offering is so huge. We get to be a part of your story. A story that's going on. It's not in the past. It's just in the middle. And you've offered us to have a part in this. Father, I pray that you'll help us to not, not choose to just rely on flesh and blood to tell us about you. That we won't just be so caught up in this world and our stuff and our kingdoms that we, that we miss yours. Father, I pray that you'll change the percentage of people in those two groups in this church. Really, in every church. Father, I pray that you'll move through here, that you'll light us on fire, that we'll become a church that is known not just for basketball and cool events, but a church that's known for your presence. How do we do that? Father, I I want you to get all the glory that you intended, all the glory that you deserve, so that people can see you in us and through us. Uh, Father, we don't deserve the riches of your kingdom, but you've invited us in. Father, help us to be so grateful. Father, I pray that You'll fill us with Your Spirit and lead us where You want us to go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.